434, 15 December 2022 <laughs> podcast. Chris, Craig, and Caro, let's go. That's now your cue to go. There's <laughs> a car coming. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, welcome back to Wildest Kruger Stories. I'm Craig. And I'm Carolina. We're actually sitting in the Kruger National Park. The first podcast we're coming to you guys from the park itself. We're at Steelberg Lookout in the far south of the Kruger National Park. And I must be honest, it's probably one of the prettiest viewpoints out there. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, it's really pretty. We're looking at the Birkendall Mountains. Uh, we're staying at Birkendall for tonight just for one night kind of spontaneous a little bit of a random decision but that's the beauty of us living so close to the park and we're very fortunate to be able to just you know kind of up and go and head into the park for a night that's that's quite special absolutely and one other thing that is really special about this episode is we have our second official guest yes uh professional trails guide and Level 3 qualified and field guide instructor for Campfire Academy, Christopher Schumann. Welcome to Wildest Kruger Stories. Fantastic. Thanks very much, guys. Craig, you're making me sound like a very big shot, which I obviously am. <laughs> <laughs> no, but thanks for, very much for getting me onto the podcast. It is a very spontaneous one. Uh, we don't even know we're coming to Kruger until yesterday, and I decided just to phone up Craig and say, Avery, come, why don't we meet up for, you know, last whiskey uh, before I head off through to the coast. Because we are drinking a whiskey. We are having a whiskey, but we're obviously keeping it very civilized. We're much older and more mature now. So very civilized <laughs> with a beautiful viewpoint, as Craig just mentioned. Uh, so yeah, special. Nice to be on top of it. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, I've listened to a couple of the podcasts, so quite excited to Thanks be on board. Thanks, much. guys. Thanks for the support. Yeah, Chris. the deal was kind of, we were paying for, for the camping spot and you came on to the podcast. Yeah, was this that, payment. This That's is, payment. This is payment. I told them I'm very expensive. My hourly rate's very pricey. Yeah, and we Craig, couldn't afford it. Craig knows how to bribe me. A quick whiskey and a nice viewpoint and a lack of chat. So here we go. <laughs> uh, but guys, basically what we're going to be doing uh, this episode is we're going to be chatting pretty much about Chris. Chris, you grew up in the bush. You have been in the bush almost your entire life. I remember seeing your first, or one of the first profile pictures when we became mates many years ago on Facebook was you walking with a dog with a rifle in your hand and you were walking <laughs> in the Belula Nature Reserve and I was like, oh my word, this guy's either an absolute prick or a really, really cool guy. And we're <laughs> friends 10 years down the line. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your upbringing and how it all came about? 100%, yeah, so just to correct that a tiny tiny little bit first of all that photo that you saw i wasn't walking with a rifle which one should most of the time i guess do in the bush <laughs> but i did grow up a little bit differently and under different circumstances in a different family which i'm sure you guys will hear all about um so yeah that that specific walk i mean i'm jumping the gun a bit now but i went out i had a rhodesian ridgeback and you know those dogs need to move a lot so I took him out for a walk and he was a little bit naughty as all dogs are they all allowed to have fun so every now and then you chase around a bit of the wildlife. So I thought, boom, there he goes again, chasing a giraffe. And it's kind of towards the end of the walk. And it was a hot summer's day like today is. I mean, what are we sitting on? 37 degrees today. So I'm a bit exhausted. And boom, there goes Thor. That's the name of the dog. And he runs into the bush. And uh, I go walking after him to say, come Thor, what now, what now? And as I get around the bush, and it's very thick this time of the year. It's our rainy season. Uh, I see a massive male black rhino that's on our property where I live. <laughs> Uh, where I was born and raised. So, I mean, I've got him many times on foot before. Uh, it is a bit of a tricky animal, as is, to find on foot. But now, you know, put a dog into it and it really gets tricky. So, anyway, long story short, 
these two are come around the corner and they must be about the length of a ruler, 30 centimeters <laughs> apart from each other, sniffing each other and just kind of like, you know, what are you, what are you? It was actually a beautiful moment. And uh, then, of course, and this is the reason you shouldn't have a, a dog when you go walking in the bush. The dog looked and turned at me. So he actually picked up on me first. And then, of course, the black rhino picked up on me. And then they started chasing, well, didn't chase each other. The black rhino chased the dog. And then the dog ran to me for safety. So I had to very quickly get up a small old tree, which was a common corkwood. <laughs> for those of you that know, they don't grow very tall. So I was up in there. And just beneath me, there was a massive male black rhino with his horn stall back then before the dehorning started trying to get hold of me. So yeah, just that little correction. For those of you who don't know Chris, and not a lot of you do, he's pretty much the width of a matchstick. So <laughs> this, little, this little human in this tree trying to escape this black rhino, I can picture it now, it's fantastic. No, it was, it was quite a tricky one. Um, I just want to defend myself. We've never seen a you know, fat thoroughbred. They're all quite uh, skinny. And, uh, <laughs> so that's normally how I defend myself on, on that point there. But yeah, guys, um, but to get back to it, grew up quite differently. Um, just to correct as well, I was actually born in Pretoria, which is pretty much Pretoria and Johannesburg, which I'm sure a lot of you Correcting know. Correcting me a lot today. Is, yeah, it's, that's how our relationship goes. We like to correct <laughs> each other. <laughs> um, so I was born there, but then we moved up at a very young age. I think I was around six or seven. Uh, moved up to the reserve where my family, most of my family has been based their whole life in this greater Kruger area. Back then it was very different, uh, there was still quite a bit of fences between the National Park, the Kruger Park where we are sitting right now, and these reserves that are now open. Um, so I did go through the whole process of seeing that happen and I mean there, there's a lot of changes, I don't want to wobble too much on about that. That could um, be a whole other podcast. That could be a whole other podcast. It is an amazing thing that's happened, but anyway, yeah, so I was pretty much brought up from kind of when I can remember in the bush um, living a, a very very different life I mean I always actually tell guests when I go out on safari we we often see these birds they're called crowned lapwings and one of my youngest memories was playing with my brother in the field and because they lay their eggs on the ground and they're obviously trying to defend this nest now uh, they would come down and mob us so pretty much attack us and you know to the point where they would peck you with their beaks on the head and that's one of my youngest memories and I mean that's what we used to do for fun so there was no playing on iPads or anything like that we actually had very strict rules where you know coming from my grandpa and he was the one that was on the reserve and he was he was actually quite a big conservationist he was one of the reasons all these reserves well especially our reserve to open up uh, to the Kruger he had a rule when the sun is up boys are out we're not allowed in the house we're not allowed indoors until the sun sets so i mean we had to find ways to keep ourselves busy whether it's climbing trees running around the bush trying to catch impalas which you can never do as a human they're way quicker than us you know all the silly things you do as a kid um so yeah quite interesting let me not wobble on too much uh, a different i'll bring it back to you guys <laughs> thanks chris but that um, is a very different upbringing it's well, fun and it's cool to i think it's cool to chat about and for you to to tell like your story and that's why we wanted to have you on because Obviously, like most of the people that listen to the podcast, I think we have a lot of South Africans listening, but also a lot mm. of people are from overseas. And I just know personally from, you know, being a person from overseas who's then come to South Africa, this is such a insane lifestyle living in the bush. And even from people, for people living in cities in South Africa, I'd say this is so different from anything else mm. and, and that traditional um, lifestyle. So it's just really cool to to hear and, and what it's like growing up in the bush. And I think that sounds like a very cool rule from your granddad to... Yeah. yeah well, sounds up. 
not allowed in the house. That's amazing. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. I mean, it was, a, yeah, sun, sun is up, you're not allowed in the house until the sun is down. And I mean, that's just the way it was. And I'm, I think it massively contributed to I am as a, as a nature and a field guide today. Because from a very young age, we all know as kids, um, just watching your parents, you learn much better at a young age just from watching. And I mean, I watched wildlife from a young age. So I do fancy myself as someone that is very good at judging animal behavior because I had to do it from a young age. Um, I mean, I can actually do a whole podcast just on my grandpa and how crazy my mom as well. Uh, two massive contributors to where I am today. Actually, uh, let's 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 talk about that. Actually, it was one of our questions. Uh, your mom built up, well, not well, not built up Campfire Training Academy. Now, train ca- uh, Campfire Academy, I'm going to hand it over to Chris now, is a training academy where guides can come and get qualified to be a field guide in South Africa. And uh, Fun fact, that's where I did my uh, guide. Mm, that's, yeah. that's where actually myself and Craig, I guess, inevitably met Caro was uh, through our academy. We've met, oh, I mean, we've made such good friends. We don't call them friends, they're family. They're part of the campfire family. Uh, but yeah, Craig, quite right. Absolutely, amazing. So, uh, my mom was the one that started. She's always, I mean, she's absolutely incredible in the bush. I don't think I know anyone with more passion and knowledge of the bush. I mean, I can never, ever really take her on. I can mean, I just stop you there for one second? So, like, going back to campfire yeah. and Tish as an instructor mm. and Tish as a who's, person who's who is Chris's, Chris's mom. mom sorry yes um, go. going just touching on that like I did not train with campfire uh, I've been in the industry just as long as Chris but I've never felt more at home and have not been exposed to more knowledge at any other place including my training academy than I have at campfire training academy um, and that's why I've come back all those years also the whiskey <laughs> <laughs> the whiskey is and, also and nice maybe <laughs> yeah you know you made a good friend <laughs> no but thanks Greg it is true I mean I honestly do every time I take guests out I do boast about my mom because she really it's not just her knowledge and her ability to teach but the passion it really shines through and it rubs off on other people and I think anyone you can speak to that's been through the academy they would always they always come back and they always like I say they kind of become part of the family um, and of course once something rubs off you're more determined to go out and study and learn and so yeah I mean she's absolutely amazing just to also you know give credit to my grandpa where it is due he's unfortunately not with us anymore uh, cancer took him quite quickly as you know it does across the globe with a lot of people so it's one of those unfortunate things but he left a massive legacy and he always it wasn't just okay years bush and years nature and you know what most most people come for the big five and all that he's always as far as I can remember back the first law ant you get to you look at it and what ant and why is it doing this and why is it going there so it always sparked that interest and that obviously sparked it in my mom and then when she came she took from what used to be a volunteer camp so people coming from abroad and just having experience in the bush and doing game farm management she took it a step further and got endorsed by Fagasa, which is now exactly what Craig is talking about it stands for Field Guide Association of Southern Africa and that is pretty much the qualification 99% of the people get to be able to become a game ranger and work in the professional lodge industry and so on so she Got can I just correct you for a second? I, I, I can't it? correct Chris on much, <laughs> um, but I can correct. It's not game ranger; it's field guide. Field guide, game ranger. You know, potato, potato. Uh, same thing. Sorry, I am a bit of a Afrikaner, so my English is not always that great. <laughs> and Craig loves to point it out from time to time. 
Um, so there we go. There's, oh, a, there's a nice example for you guys again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, campfire, honestly, some of the best times I've had in my 20s because I'm going to be 30 next year. It's a big one. It's quite scary. <laughs> Me and you. Four days apart, actually. That's yeah. why we're such good friends. Um, I've Some of the best times I've ever had have been at Campfire Training Academy, both from a let's have a good time point of view, playing volleyball, sucking down a few whiskeys, and from learning, uh, from a learning point of view, you know, even though I was never a student, we used to do a lot of the student activities in our younger years when we were young. Um, <laughs> and uh, we used to go out and going with your mom, you know, it was mind blowing. And also what I really found fascinating about your mom is how she simplified stuff. Mm. Mm. It wasn't... She's she a really took, good teacher. Yeah. She really is good at teaching. She this. took this scientific stuff that, you know, 30 letter words and simplified it into something so simple. And you go, ah, how did I not know that mm. before? You know, and that that's what is incredible about Campfire Training Academy. But you've got some pretty big shoes to fill. Yeah, and, and as, as someone who did their Fagasa at Campfire, and, and with your mom, who, who was my teacher, and we actually did the Overland together, which I've spoken about in a previous episode, and which was an incredible adventure in, in general. And I felt, you know, doing my Fagasa level one, because there's different levels of the Fagasa uh, qualification, and I did a level one, this is the first one you do. And I felt like training with her, I didn't get the, like, she wasn't only teaching us the knowledge of level one, she was teaching us the knowledge of level two, level three, Mm. you know, beyond, because her wealth of knowledge is so big, she was just teaching us so much more, and we actually learned so much more than just what you need to pass level one, which is incredible. Nah, she's an incredible woman. Um, We're going to have to play this podcast. She's going to absolutely love it. This this intro of five minutes is just absolutely, oh, mom is the best, but she really is. But... Why we also so the funny thing is I just noticed Craig kept on saying she yeah, simplified and like you talking in past tense and why are we talking in past tense is because she actually has retired now from teaching at Campfire mm. and you are actually taking over her role and those are quite big shoes to fill so massive how do you feel massive shoes um I'd lie if I say I'm not a little bit nervous I'm not someone that particularly gets nervous in many situations but a little bit nervous um mainly because of that it's big shoes Mm. to fill and she's not going to be the person that sits there and you know watches over her shoulder and like how's Chris doing she's given me absolute free reign which I do think is the best thing to do because you know it is the first year there might be a little speed wobble or two year get in the Um, deep end you know mates that know me very well you know every now and then I still will miss idea bird or something but that's also natural you can't always know everything and Tish knows this and she she's actually for the first month of the course I don't know if I told you guys she's buggering off she's going to the coastline <laughs> yeah, she's, you told me. she's gonna go have white wine on the coastline and just let me be because you have to step into that role yourself you don't want to just as soon as you might not know something turn and say oh but Tish is here let's find out from mm-hmm. her because that's not that's not good for me it's not good for the students um this is now me taking over so yeah guys super super exciting times um, I was just telling you guys about this before the podcast. I've been with my nose in the books for the past oof, couple of weeks, literally two, two, three in the morning every day, uh, just preparing myself because I'm starting on the 9th of January with 10 students. And uh, yeah, then it's rock and roll. So I'll be sure to keep you guys updated to how it goes. But very excited. And I do feel like I bring a different uh, kind of aspect 
into the academy whereas my mom has got I mean I think she's got six seven degrees she never stopped studying hence why she's so knowledgeable um, but never really done the guiding side of it whereas I've been professionally guiding for 10 years also done pretty much okay not the not the uh, degree side of it but in terms of Fagasa as far as you can go like Craig said professional guide professional trails guide whatever the case or the terminology is there um, now level three. Oh, well, exactly. Level three done and dusted as well. But I can also bring in which, you know, all the students are going to be doing afterwards, which is guiding. I can bring in that aspect, which I've been doing for 10 years. So I'm actually, yeah, guys, very excited. You're okay at it. Big, you're, shoes, you're big okay. shoes to fill. And it's also not <laughs> actually my first radio. I've taught three trails guide courses before. Uh, who you guys had previously on Cullum, he was actually one of my students. Uh, and just to let you guys know, trails guide is and it, it pretty much... Uh, gives you the credibility to go and walk in the bush and you know approach big five and dangerous game and you know not just that it's actually a bushwalk is more about sharing knowledge about the smaller things you know what what actually really matters in an ecosystem as well but let's not go you, too deep you talk into about that you talk about the campfire family and that's exactly what it is you know you've got Callum that we've had previously on the podcast who both me and Carolina met at campfire and uh, we look at how well he's done and his mm, baseline was for guys another great Africa. success story exactly yeah. amazing yeah. Uh, I'm kind of like the mascot I never studied there <laughs> but he's the number one snoop. supporter he I, actually I Craig has helped me with when I was doing a trial course he's helped me uh, uh, with a couple of the lectures when it was radio procedures because again he's also been in the industry for the same amount of time as me and uh, you know there is things you learn in theory um, and then there is also the practical side which is going out and doing the work and there's other things like radio procedures so there's new things again that's now it just shows that us the new generation are bringing in to the course which will inevitably help the students in the long run yeah because i think something we also wanted to talk to you about is uh, because we have spoken a lot about the industry and being permanently in the in industry because that's what myself and craig mm. was craig for for about 10 years and myself for four years we were working permanently at lodges and we've spoken about that in previous episodes where we you know you work the six weeks on two weeks off kind of thing you're mm. permanently employed you get a monthly salary but your guiding career has been very different and i think it's interesting for the listeners to hear another side of guiding how you know there's only there's not just one way of doing it mm. because you have done freelance for you said about eight years now where you've been you know basically working for yourself but freelancing at properties and and that works very differently so could you talk a little bit about that and what's that what that's like and and how come you decided to go that route instead of the permanently employed uh, route yeah sure good point Kara. it really is um so i don't know how much you guys have touched based on it i unfortunately haven't had time to listen to all the podcasts but such a bad support yeah, yeah bad. terrible best best mates but bad support yeah. uh, Apparently, um, listen to my stuff, man. <laughs> I'll, I'll listen to this one. I promise you guys. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, guys. So there's two sides of it. Um, I'd say 70, 80 percent of it is obviously the permanent side. Uh, like you guys have heard before, the six weeks on, two weeks off. So I was part of that, and that's actually where myself and Craig met in this beautiful relationship blossomed we'll get into that um, story we'll, get we'll, in, we'll, talk, in, we'll we, talk a little bit about we'll, that later we will get into that as well so i was also in the permanent industry that is ideally how you find your feet because of course when you come in like in any kind of business world you know you start right at the bottom so you start working your way up we eventually got into this five-star establishment where well, i say we we didn't know each other back then i did craig obviously did as well 
um, and that's kind of where we met and that was uh, that was the last lodge I worked at permanently it was called Lakumbi it really is a great great property uh, here in the south of Kruger um, so yeah that was the last of my permanent work and then I started exploring I, I just started hearing about this freelancing industry that existed I remember and that, the day sorry to cut you off yeah yeah go I remember the day you came to me and you, you said to me you said okay I can go see so much more by mm. doing this mm. and your name was in the industry because obviously of you had grown up in the reserves and you can go see so many different areas of the Kruger mm. and uh, mm. that was so passionate and then you did something and you're like money's good as well yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> so if we did honest I did ask him before the interview like yeah obviously don't want to talk about money much but that is one of the factors I wouldn't say it was the main driving factor the main driving factor is I've always I'm a very adamant traveler I've traveled across the globe plenty and I mean that doesn't just go globally that goes within our country I love nature um, so one of the things that really was a driving force is as a freelancer you get it as Caro said you get to work in a variety of different properties I mean I've honestly oh, let's not try and lie but probably 30 40 different properties uh, all the way from KZN which is closer to the coastline Pinda that area um, and then this whole Greater Kruger area where majority or the heart of this foreign industry is. So that is to this day, I can say, other than, yeah, you make a bit more money because you have a daily rate. And so that is, if anyone is interested in going, you know, down that route, you get to see so much and it really keeps you on your toes because, you know, you, so Africa is so diverse. You might get birds in the northern part of Kruger, which you don't get at all in the southern part. In the southern part, you go in the northern even animal species, vegetation, like the topography of the land, everything changes. So it constantly keeps you on your toes. You know, you know, don't just after drive go and lie on your bed and sleep. You open up a book because you want to learn about the area that you're in and you know what kind of species you can find there and what it, it just it really keeps it interesting. So that is honestly I can say the best part about freelancing. You get to see so many different properties and then of course it's got its other pros and cons um, and when I say pros and cons it definitely has its pros and cons one of the biggest cons being uh, you never know when you're gonna get paid you know one month you might get you might work 30 days out of a month yeah. the next month you might work three days out of a month and that really is the reality doesn't matter if you a level three professional trails best guide in the world 40 50 60 years experience or whether you're just starting you know lodges typically want to use their guides first uh, because they pay them they're a the salary, payroll. obviously they're on a payroll instead of auditioning cash for freelancers. But with saying that, uh, once you get your name out there, it's it's a very lucrative industry. You can I'm, do. I'm, well. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> Kenny's trying. And he's mostly just taking the work that Chris can't do. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, but the, I wanted to ask that how how does it work for those who don't know what like a freelance what that means? Mm. Uh, how does it work with you getting jobs? Do they just mm. land in your lap, or like was it from the start you just had all these jobs lined up and you just pick and choose, or like or how does it work? So, Kara, it's tough to say. It's a little bit of everything. I would say, again, uh, especially in a place like South Africa, you know, okay, social media, everything's becoming much bigger now. But word of mouth was a massive thing. So, obviously, having been brought up in the area and being fortunate in love. Oh, in love. In love. <laughs> there we go. There comes Chrissy Art. That's who you know. Um, fortunately enough, living in Greater Kruger, being based around the area where all these lodges are, um, I was quite fortunate. So where for me, where it personally started is I live in Baluli Nature Reserve, which is part of Greater Kruger. Um, you know, hundreds, thousands of people come in safari in that area. So the lodges knew of me because we have an academy there. And 
I think how it started was not because you know I was this great guide or whatever it's because they maybe a guide got sick and now they need someone in to mm. come and support yeah, yeah. so therefore they're like okay but Chris is here and now yeah he's not doing permit work anymore let's try and get him in he's so qualified he's, he's qualified he's exactly the he's got the, ticks the boxes. exactly ticks the boxes and then yeah the lodge would just personally phone me get my number from whoever if they don't have it already phone me and you know at at the start it was a whole fresh thing for me what do you charge how much does a freelance charge and how much mm. yeah, yeah but of course that's all in the first year and you start working these things out so that's how it started for me then as it grows then we have this little community of freelancers i mean i'm on probably five six different whatsapp groups of freelancers in different areas through greater kruger and if i can't do the job i'll pop it on the freelance group and someone else can or you know and then I, again it's almost like you start at the bottom again and then when i worked my way up and really got into this kind of five-star industry again on a freelance basis which is ideally what I personally love because I started doing a lot of my bread and butter these days is private vehicles so for those of you that don't understand you know you book at a safari lodge typically you get thrown on a vehicle with other people some people prefer you don't get to... thrown on it okay. get... <laughs> it's a bit of a bit of a harsh word um but you get put onto the vehicle with other people some prefer not to have that so they pay extra money for private vehicles so they have their private guard it's and exclusive exclusive and they have their vehicle even if it's just two of you four of you and you have the whole safari vehicle to yourself so that is pretty much what i do now at these lodges they because often you know the lodge caters for let's say 16 people so there's three vehicles four vehicles going out but now someone books a private vehicle so now you actually need an extra guide so that's where i get called around to come and do work but yeah to answer mm. your question it started with being known in the area and then falling into this community of freelancers no oh, that's awesome it's such a good cool to see a different side of it and how it can work a little bit differently mm. because we do talk yeah we talk a lot about the permanent industry because that's what we, what we yeah we've been exposed most. and only recently have i been exposed to the freelance exactly so well you've heard about it a lot because i keep yapping yeah. on about it of but course we knew about it very much yeah 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 because yeah. <laughs> craig would be like oh it's week five because guys six weeks on two weeks off it's tough for those of you who want to go into it it's it's fantastic if you love nature you're going to love six weeks in the bush but constantly up four in the morning going to bed night at night you get tired week five i used to say in the permanent industry that's when you're an autopilot you're just cruising yeah and um, anything that the longest i have ever done on a stint was when a lodge Lukimbi asked me to stay an extra week and I did 49 days no you did 9 weeks I did 9 weeks no 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 I'm talking 49 days constant guiding constant, constant not a day break no, no, no day break yeah, it gets exhausting and, and to be honest it, that it was just wasn't it wasn't possible like uh, Lukimbi the management at the time they they when when they could give you a day they would absolutely but this was just one of those times where guys were resigning it just didn't line up mm. and i was still fresh and passionate and super keen but you do start to feel it as the oh, 100%. you get tired and it's not that you lose the passion or anything but you get tired like mm. anyone does mm. you know like i was actually a recent guest i had both of them were doctors and they actually work on i don't know if you guys know very similar cycles these guys would oh. work oh wow sometimes 12 24 hours and i stood mm. back i was <laughs> like i don't know if i want to go into the emergency center if you've just if you're on hour 23 and you can't keep your eyes open exactly. i was quite shocked um so it's quite similar to that so you do get tired and again that's one of the massive benefits of being a freelancer you can decide i've done three so weeks of work now no i'm not going to do the next job you're your own boss so you can like for example mm. now it's a busy time of the year I don't need to go and work because you know I've done my hard work. I'm going to go on holiday for three weeks now. I'll go to the coastline, come back, 
And then, yeah, next year I'll Have start a whiskey with, a, with Craig, yeah? Have a whiskey with Craig, and then next year, yeah, I'll start with the, with the see, students, eh? But that's what, that, it's funny that you say that, because I actually also had uh, doctors as, as my guests now in Tanzania, and or one doctor and one nurse, and they were also talking about that, and I was like, that for me, that is shocking that you're working, you know, mm. 24 hours, and, you know, and then often they do get a little bit of a sleep, but it's not proper sleep. No, they need to review but, that system. That's crazy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but the funny thing was, she said to me, because she was talking to the staff, in Tanzania and she was like chatting to them about you know oh you're living out here in Serengeti like what's that like and whatever and and then she came to me and she was like oh, did you know these guys work 42 days on and then they go home for two weeks and I was like yeah that's that's what we used to do yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that was me for years yeah <laughs> and she was so shocked understandably so because it is quite it is quite shocking and she was like without any days off and I was like yes no. like there was one lodge we worked at where we got Sundays off if there were no guests if there was no guests and that was that's incredible because that's not the, the no that's not standard. the standard no, so. I remember when we signed that contract we were like yes and uh, then was that in the contract yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool when you no don't guests. have guests wow. no guests Sundays off because people got paid over time so yeah. then Sundays were extra time so then they just rather yeah. sent us off but it was only when we didn't have guests and then as soon as the lodge started getting busy that, that didn't happen anymore Yeah, because uh, yeah. you had guests constantly and that, that's the thing you have guests constantly so you you work every day and it's most of the time it's not nine to five either you work probably like 10 hours a day at least you know it's mm. it's it's long hours as well so it's it's just a different it's a very different lifestyle very different industry and that's where as you say a freelance has you have a little bit more control over, over yourself but at the same time there's certain times mm. i can imagine where you feel like you can't say no even though you're tired yeah 100 percent. just to actually elaborate on that because we're talking it almost makes it sound like freelancing is the way to go and because I'm so passionate about things when I chat about it. I've actually very recently, uh, what is it, two nights ago, I spoke to a guy called Will. He won't mind me mentioning his name. He was, again, a student there by us. Uh, we play indoor soccer there. In oh, Woodspray. well, we played that, we played that 70-minute game the other day. Exactly, ah, Will as guy. well. So, and he was like, no, Chris, I really want to get into the freelancing, but he's barely started his guiding career. Guys, that is not as easy as that. It's not just, okay, you've just finished your Fogasa course, you know, you qualified, and you start freelancing because you do need to build a name for yourself. You like I said in the beginning. Exactly. Yeah. You need to the higher qualified you get. Like I wouldn't no one that is not at least a level two lead trails, trails. meaning able you can lead a group to walk into the bush yeah. and pass elephants and it's almost not worth it to become a freelance guide because the probability of you getting work over the other, let's call it forty people that's doing it in the area is absolutely zero. They're always gonna choose them over. So just to clarify that for people you know, adamant guides that is looking to go into it. But I think it's a good point as well, because like, and that's what we want to kind of bring up, that there's pros and cons to yeah. it, you know, and that you, you are your, your own boss, but at the same time, I'm sure there's times where you, you know, you're running low on cash or whatever, you may be super tired and you may be like not feeling well or whatever, but you have oh, yeah. to say yes to a job because that's that's your only chance for that time or whatever it may be. <laughs> uh, like, who, you know, It's who just knows? this one no, time. No, the it's reason just I'm, this one time. We'll push through. The reason I'm laughing <laughs> is because it's one of Craig's favorite stories, actually, is there was a very tough period for me very, very recently uh, during COVID. We all know COVID, obviously, and uh, COVID, there was zero tourism. So for two years, I didn't <laughs> earn a single cent. So Craig would phone me and he's like, Chris, let's go to Kruger. And I'll be like, Craig, I love Kruger. Let's go. But I'm, I'm running out of things to sell because <laughs> I had to start selling my trailer. I sold my motorbike. I, just to literally stay alive because, you know, as you get older, you've got bills to pay. And I'm my own boss, so you're putting yourself in that position. So make sure you're able 
to handle it. You never know when the next pandemic hits. And it's about savings and, and handling your money and all that. Because, and I think that's a very good point that you're saying there. And even though we haven't spoken a lot about that, about how COVID hit the the lodge industry, and we might have a we should have a podcast. You on should that, because it hits it hard, very and, hard. And we were in the uh, industry permanently, and we were one of the lucky ones that had a company that took very well care of us. And and even though mm. we had cut salaries, we still had salaries, even though there was so wasn't many guests. people were just. So there's a massive pro for you guys. Whereas on my side, or not just my side, all the freelancers out there, and a shout out to you, Oaks, that freaking made it and survived it because it was a tough period. Um, I mean, I completely changed. I won't go too long about this, but obviously there's this massive thing with rhino poaching and deawning rhinos. I started making my money by going to these reserves and helping as the feet on the ground with a rifle protection game ranger, helping with, I probably helped deawn 40 rhinos over that period. Um, so it was cool in that sense. By dehorning, he means yeah, just nowadays. Elaborate. I'm going to elaborate a little I bit. I think I've spoken about that no. before. Okay. No. Um, okay. So what I'm what, uh, dehorning rhinos now because the poaching is at such a high. For those of you who don't know, it's at it's at an all time high. Uh, reserves, including Kruger National Park and South African National Parks as a whole, along with the private reserves adjacent to these national parks with no fences uh, between have now decided to take the horns off it doesn't negatively impact the animal um it's just to make the animal less appealing it's now classified as what you'd call a rhino clipping um take away the value pretty much there you go carry on chris yeah no so i just quickly wanted to touch base on it so yeah that that is the tough kind of you know things you can expect maybe at some point this is obviously quite unlucky but you know you have to make do and who, who make stops another endemic from happening in five years or something so it's just something you've got to be prepared for if you're stepping into those shoes you're effectively your own boss um so you pay your own salary and yeah. that's just the way it is yeah. but um you don't only do freelance you no. also actually have a safari company yeah uh, that's called down to earth safaris that's and it. it's a little bit different than our wildest mm. kruger because we... i would say it's pretty much the same thing okay <laughs> it's, it's, very it's, <laughs> it's very it's very it's actually quite funny because craig and myself i mean if you, you guys always do something you it, always do things together if, at the if same you, time. yeah and it wasn't actually planned we literally did it's not never planned we never Chris. spoke to each other about it but I think the one day we just phoned and I was like, yeah, Craig, I just registered a company. I'm starting a tourism company. He's like, Chris, you won't believe it. Like, we're also busy starting one up now. So, like, <laughs> not previously discussed. We just seem to kind of, we're in sync. We seem to yeah, do the, the same way. A, a, a lot of things together. Well, I remember, I remember um, if, you go, if you go way back, if you go uh, to when we started Lakimbi, you know, we get... You had trails. I did I my lead, then you did your lead. I think then, a week later I did mine. Yeah. And then level two, you did yours, and then yeah, just stimulated. Just kept yeah, going, kept yeah. going and going and so going. You need to do level three now. Yeah. You're Ooh. falling behind, eh? Yeah, guys, yeah. Don't, put yeah, don't on fall me. behind, guys. Come boy, come boy. <laughs> um, but yeah, guys, sorry, just to elaborate on that, and thanks for bringing it up because it is actually a new venture of mine. I've had the company now for, oh, I speak under correction, probably eight, nine months going very very well uh very similar to what craig is doing craig and caro um with wildest kruger safaris except they're obviously very much focusing on photography so i'm not that focused on it although of course i do take photographers in but then i'll actually get someone like carolina in pay her daily a freelance rate exactly what we spoke about Mm. to come and take my guests um so yeah very similar concept because i think on my side where i really thought it make sense to start is because i've freelanced in so many different properties so i have a very very good idea of what properties have to offer so therefore i've 
you know i've got the i can point people in the right direction for what your you kind have of the knowledge, for what mate. your budget is this is the best place i can send you for also not just your budget but your interest you know people have different interests people some people just want to do birding some people want to see the whole big five plus wild dogs and cheetahs so then you send them to greater kruger and then maybe to valgefonda the waterberg we almost guaranteed to see cheetah and so you know can that, i just can i just i've yeah. done multiple freelancing stints at Valgefonden. Don't tell me you haven't seen a cheetah. Never seen a cheetah. Are you, are you actually joking? I have never seen a cheetah. Guys, I just want to say, I'm starting to um, yeah, wonder about his guarding capabilities because <laughs> I, I, I've guarded there probably 25 times and I've seen a cheetah every single time. So it really is a <laughs> great place for cheetah. About, but okay, no, I'm just six, pulling his leg. Times. Craig really is a great guard. I can say that with confidence because okay, okay. we've worked together. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's just as an example. But yeah, so that, that's why I started it and going very well. And then with that, I do a bit of private guarding for those that want me as their guide. But yeah, let's not go Which on too long similar about to, that. Sim- and as you say, it's very similar to Wilder's Kruger. And yeah. I think I think what's... In, in Direct his... competition. No. <laughs> Don't go with Wilder's Kruger. <laughs> Come with Down to Earth. But see, I think the thing is, and the beautiful thing about this industry and what we are noticing, starting Wilder's Kruger and, you know, you, you started Down to Earth at the... A similar time and and so on and also just getting to know other people we have a, a not you're not the only friend that we have that also has a safari company mm. and the beautiful thing is that i find that it isn't really competition there is no. a lot of helping each other out and as you say if yeah. you would get photography guests you would pay me a day to rate yeah and it's I not competition and, i'll get you 100%. exactly and if, if we have a booking where we need a private guide that mm. we can't do we phone you or like we have you know we haven't experienced this lodge like it's mostly Craig that that knows the lodges very well and deals with that for now in the in the in our company but uh, then you like you guys phone each other all the time and yeah, you know ask for help lodges, and so on yeah. and yeah Craig you're raising your hand I'm raising my hand because it's <laughs> difficult to get a word Craig wants to sponge. talk <laughs> um, just to elaborate on that it's it, a lot of people think you know it, a lot of people compare these small or our small businesses, because mm. we are small businesses, sure. uh, Wildest Kruger Safari is down to earth, and they compare them to these kind of biggish corporate companies where they're like, oh, wow, ew, direct competition. That's not really how it works with us. I know multiple guides or guys that own, guys and girls that own their, their own companies, and we're very, very relaxed with each other because we often reciprocate favors. So... They'll help me out once, and then I'll help them out. And it's it's a very unified front mm. for the industry. And that's what I love mm. about our little our little community in Hootsbreit, our yeah. freelancing community, our, um, our company community. Yeah. And uh, everyone just helps each other out, which is amazing. So when the, the comment of direct competition obviously was it's laughed enough. off. And I think, and I think anyone laughable. that knows business is it's much easier to do things together with help than Absolutely. trying to do it by yourself. Um, so me and Craig, we chat literally week in and week out. We're getting clients in, and we trade you know, business ideas as well. Exactly, and we're saying, you know, okay, Craig. I, for example, yes, I've travelled through forty different properties, but I've never worked at a property in Thornybush, which is a great reserve. Craig worked there for years, and so I'll call Craig. I'll say, okay, Craig, this is kind of the budget. This is got clients here. This yeah, is yeah. A, what do you, what what can you recommend? And you know, so it goes back and forth. So it, exactly, it's helping each other, and it's not competing with each other. It, well, it is, I guess. In hindsight, competing with each other, but 
But there's a respect there. There's a mate. massive there's respect, a respect and it's, it's that again you've got your own client. Do and you I also feel like it's there's also, you know, this this kind of mutual uh, goal of, you know, showing the best side of South Africa to yes, these guests. Absolutely. Like what we all want is when guests contact us, we don't want to send them just somewhere randomly no. because you want to make uh, sure it's the best. Exactly. You want to make sure that it's the best option for specifically them because yes. all these lodges have such different things to offer and there's such a wide range of different types of safaris that you can do in South Africa only and then you can talk about the rest of Africa and yeah. there's even more and that's where we all have the same common goal of just wanting people to have the best possible experience in South Africa because that's what we're all passionate about and we also in that way we all know that the tourism industry also is an education for you know conservation and mm. preserving the you know the mm, ecosystem absolutely. and that's our all like all of our Common, it's a goal. common goal there, 100%. and that's why we help each other out. We need to work together, thing. and I think the industry as a whole needs to work together to yeah. make it better. You need to constantly keep bettering yourself. But we're not going to turn this into an infomercial. No, no, no. no. I, don't, <laughs> I, I don't think we have to. But I, I, I just want to say one last thing on that, on that point is that one of the main reasons I also started is because yes, I knew so many of the lodges, and then I would have a friend of a friend of a friend. It's coming and they say, Chris, we're doing this. And they kind of send me the itinerary. Yeah. And I look at it and I say to myself, who planned my goodness, this? For the money you're paying and the things like, who planned this? Look at where they're sending you. So it almost annoyed me to a sense because I love, love, love this country. There's not just Africa, but there's all Southern Africa and the safari side of it. I absolutely love it. So I, I can't deal with it to see people, you know, this is their once in a lifetime safari holiday and they're getting sent year A, B and C, which is absolutely horrible places where you could have gone to you know c d and e it's uh... yeah no absolutely and also like when when you see they're like oh i'm so excited to see like this specific bird or whatever mm, it is or exactly. uh, cheetah for example and they send you to an area where where we know that cheetah is very rare to see in that specific area i've had that with guests they go mm. like oh yeah our agent said that you can see cheetah here and I was like I haven't seen cheetah here in three years mm. exactly and that's yeah, now, they, now an agent <clears throat> has sent them here specifically mm. to see that animal well half these agents have never been here but they exactly. sit there and they pull their commission so anyway we won't dive too deep <laughs> in it because it's about 40 degrees and yeah. very humid okay. so, so let's get to the next point I do, <laughs> I do want to move on to because you guys have been mentioning Lukumbi a lot and uh, I do want to move on to how you guys got to know each other and your friendship is very special mm. Uh, and you guys are very, very close friends. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like a package deal sometimes. Like, you, 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 you get one with another. But anyway, you guys are very special friendships. So, uh, tell us, or tell the listeners, because I know the story. Yeah. How you guys met and and where the, this special sure, friendship started. Yeah. Well, I think it's quite, if I can start, Cranks. Um, I, I Cranks. Think, uh, yeah, Cranksy. That's, 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 that's what I like to call him. Um, it, it is quite funny because I was at Lukumbi just before Craig arrived and I was there maybe, I don't know, what is it, maybe two months I want the, to explain not, your first conversation with me. Well, I'm not sure on the first I, conversation, I but this I just remember Craig me. driving in and I'm like, obviously we got told by the manager there's a new guy coming in. For so we're interview. like For interview, yeah, just for the interview. He hasn't got the job yet, so he drives in. But now, guys, if you're interviewing at a place, you know, you're going to... You're quite wary. Like I'm not just gonna park anywhere. I'm not just. Craig just comes in, all guns blazing, <laughs> with his car stops right in front of the lodge. Like he owns the lodge, and he gets out with like I think he was wearing tight skinny jeans and like 
I was just like, who is was... this Johannesburg boy coming to try and work in the bush? And I honestly, at first sight, I was like, what a prick. Like, honestly, <laughs> I'm not going to get along with this guy, to be brutally honest. Um, and anyway, I'll let Craig tell his side of the story now. But that was, you know, you know how they say first impressions last. In this case, it didn't. It was funny to see. And then shortly after that, we really became best mates. So this, this story... Is very difficult. Well, I, I suppose now you're getting the story from two That's different sides. Two different perspectives. So yeah. I get out the car, go meet the managers. I don't feel I've driven fast. Yeah, driven yeah. Up no, or I don't think I've done anything wrong. I'm like, Did happy. You hoot? No. Oket, no. Good, because some people do that, and that's like the <laughs> but worst. But look, he made an entrance. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, it's what I do. I make an entrance. Um, and I got out the car, not thinking I'd done anything wrong. Nothing. Everything was fine. Met the manager, smart, or the managers. And he smiled, it was great, we had a good conversation, we spoke about qualifications. I then moved to go, because I was spending the night, to go park my car somewhere. That I'd raced in, apparently, according to you. <laughs> and, um, yeah, comes wandering down this guy with these, <laughs> this long hair, and his sunglasses on, and he's got a plate in his hand. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so I look over to the side, and I'm like, sure we... That's nice that they support the homeless. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, so um, I, I I go up and uh, Sean, the manager at the time, says, "Chris, this is Craig. Uh, he's here for an interview." He shakes my hand and he goes, "Ah, oh, how's it going?" Um, and he says to me in this like almost twisted Afrikaans accent, he says to me, "Are you from Pretoria?" <laughs> I was like, who I the fuck I, I is I this guy? <laughs> Literally, I'm like, what? I'm like, no, I'm from Johannesburg. Yeah, very um, proudly, because you mustn't tell a, a Joburg guy that he's from Pretoria. No, man, no, man. <laughs> it wasn't that. I was like, okay, me and this guy are not going to get along, but it's a big guiding team. Cool. Fast forward a few months, and we you are here. I get the job. Well, not for a few months. That's a few yeah, days. I literally get it. I get the phone call the next day saying... You, you're employed. That's very impressive. Hey, next day. Man, next day. Yeah, Dude, the only reason you got the job was because your profile picture on Facebook was you in a mankini. <laughs> we don't, and the we CEO. don't need to talk about that. We do not need to talk about how I got the job. Dude, like, honestly, that is why. And I'm sure we're going to get questions as to Omo and tell the story. Uh, but I'm no. not going to tell it. But you were in a mankini. If we and get that the, the CEO question, said, think about it. Employ him. Now. Um, but yeah, if we get the question, we'll elaborate. Um, but yeah, fast forward a few months. I'm employed, Chris and me kind of, um, not really vibing, we're okay, we're fine, um, but uh, we're not best mates, and then, <laughs> alright guys, we're going to talk about we're, the we're, we're going to do this, and uh, for those, look, you know, it's not my usual, I'm sitting here with my best friend and my girlfriend, um, but I'm going to tell the story, it is, uh, a, we thought a funny story at the time, it was years ago, we were young. What? And um, so how me and Chris became friends was we were sent down to to associate ourselves to the area because we started at very similar times at the property and we were sent down to associate ourselves with the area, our walking area. So we were given one rifle and this is at a point where me and Chris weren't really vibing at all. So we went, didn't say a word, drove down to the river because we had to associate ourselves with walking routes down to the river because we were going to be doing bushwalks with clients or guests. And um, we get there, and um, Chris is a little bit away. Um, further ahead. Further ahead. Mm. No, no. Well, I was further ahead. You were just. We were just away from each other. So Chris is, Chris is um, uh, 
closer to the sandbank. I'm on the rocks. I'm looking at crocodiles and all sorts with my binoculars and looking, I'm, not, looking, I'm not, looking very danger ranger. I'm not really situationally aware of what's going on around me. And um, uh, suddenly I hear shouting, Craig, Craig. So I look at him and Chris is hauling towards me. And I'm like, what, what, are you, what is this like doing? <laughs> and I look to my left and there's this hippo that has popped out of the water that I didn't see and is running towards me. And um, Chris actively starts shouting like a flipping monkey on heat, just going mull, going mad at this hippo and shouts and screams, pushes me out the way. Hippo gets a bit of a fright, runs back into the water. And uh, basically he saved my life. And that's pretty much how our friendship started. Mm. Um, it would be an amazing story if it was true. <laughs> <laughs> it's a story we used to tell to a lot of people around the bar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's a bit of a laugh. Uh, I don't even know if you guys will laugh, but, but amongst us, it was yes. It was a have, good laugh. We used to have fun with that story. You know, you just have a story which you elaborate on and. We just started chatting around the bar one day and we just worked each other up on this story. story and, we just and these people were literally in the palm of our hands and we almost felt bad to say it's not true. But, <laughs> but we didn't actually tell them it wasn't no, true. No, 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 no. You guys keep, keep going because the funny thing is like oh, I, I heard this story when me and Craig started dating. Okay, so when I found out that this story wasn't true, it was only because I was with your cousin, Chris, Frank, mm -hmm. who's also a very close mate of, Frankles. of ours. Frankles. Yeah. Oh, Frankles. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll probably have him on, on the podcast one we day as to. well. We have to. We have to. Awesome, awesome person. Anyway, I was in Kruger with him and a couple of other mates, and uh, this was shortly after we started dating, Craig. It was like maybe three months or something after we started dating. And we were celebrating that we had finished our Fagasa and whatever uh, with these mates from, from the Fagasa group. And for some reason, we started talking about you guys and how you guys became friends. Someone asked how you guys became friends. And I told this story just like Craig and Chris had told it to me. But in, in the version that I heard, Craig was the one who saved Chris. Because obviously he was trying... We, we try was, and make each other look good. So. Yeah, when Chris is telling the story, I saved his life. When I'm telling the story, he saved my there life. We exactly. Go. And so when I heard the story, Craig was saving Chris... And I'm telling the story just as passionately as you guys told it to me and whatever. And I'm like, this is such a cool story. And Frank goes, yeah, just, just think twice when you believe stories that Chris and Craig tell you. <laughs> we liked a good old story, didn't we? we and did. I was like, what do you mean? Did, He's yeah. like, no, they, they, maybe, they might add a bit of spice. You know? <laughs> so that's um, how I found out it wasn't true. And I, guess, and I guess that truly is also one of the moments where we like, we are very similar people. We can have a good time. We can have a good chat. We can... Yeah. Spice the story. So since then, I mean, it's just look. We're, let's not go on the room and say we're 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 liars. This was <laughs> this was a form of entertainment. No, no, it was just you guys can. But you still do spice certain stories. Of course, sometimes. the it, lion so was this close. Yeah, but actually, it it's was like a fishing big. story. You know, exactly. the fish was this big. You can't see me moving my hands further apart, but yeah. you guys get the gist yeah. of it. <laughs> but it's it's a funny story. Really yeah. But Chris, I want to know now, scariest moment in the bush, uh, you've ever had uh, I've going had a couple up there. of, as you would know, a couple of close encounters. Um, as you do, which, living with, and working well, in the bush. Exactly, and I was going to say, literally from starting again at the, the beginning of the podcast, 
literally, I think the first time I got charged, attacked, whatever you want to call it, by an elephant was probably when I was seven, literally having to run for my life. So, a couple of scary moments, but I think the closest I've been to death, and yeah, it's not actually something Whoa, I... It's not actually something I chat about or let's call it brag about because it really isn't a bragging point. I really was extremely close to death. Um, it's got to be the, the bicycle. So, yeah, with this freelancing that I do, uh, I did a particularly longer stint, which was three months at a property there in Clisseria. I'm not going to mention any names. Um, the reason being, you shouldn't be cycling in the bush, right? But anyway, on this massive reserve, Clisseria, Finished the morning safari at the lodge that I was freelancing at and just to stay a bit fit because it is quite a lot of driving when you're doing uh, the safaris and you're not doing much bushwalks. I took my bicycle with and I decided let me just do a 20k. So just kind of around the lodge four or five times that, you know, equates to 20k's. Mm. So I did the first loop and then second loop I go through this riverbed and the riverbed is, you know, it's a sandy dip. So you have to really get some speed to go through it. So I speed up and I go through and, you know, stupidly as well, listen to music. And I guess this is what happens when you live a long time in the bush. You become very complacent. You should never be listening to music. You need to be alert of what's around you. Um, and anyway, so I speed up to go through this dip. And all I can truly remember was getting knocked at the back of the bicycle. But I knew that it had to be a cat. You know, it's something that has misjudged me maybe as prey. And was literally going for me. So I knew as I got hit on the bicycle. Well I didn't. Luckily. Otherwise I wouldn't be here telling the podcast. Not even a single claw got hold of me. Which is incredibly lucky. But I felt this impact into the back tire of my wheel. I fell off. And immediately got onto my feet. And then as I looked in front of me. About two meters away. There's a massive male leopard. And he's just standing there staring at me. Now any of you that's ever. You know seen this kind of behavior or walked into a leopard they're typically very shy because they're solitary animals very shy creatures so you clap your hands or you go hey and they tend to bolt yeah, off. he runs away so i'm screaming and shouting and my heart is obviously pumping at 240 beats a minute like you know i literally just thought i was about to die screaming and this thing just doesn't even flinch an eyelid it just stands there and stares at me and that's when i really really got terrified I thought, you know, this might be it. It felt like maybe three minutes. It might have been three seconds that me and him had this standoff for two, three, uh, for, from two, three meters. And then he just kind of turned around and proudly walked off. Um, the reason I say it's the closest I've been to death is because I know leopards very well. They're the ultimate fishes. And what I mean by that, they've got very sharp claws because they preserve them for hunting. And if one little claw had to get hold of me, any part of my body, it would have had me and I would have been on the ground trying to resist it going ah and this leopard is on top of me and I obviously wouldn't have been here They're today. also extremely opportunistic predators. Very opportunistic. I to this day believe though because they they ultimate hunters there's no ways to try to I think get hold of me. I think at the last split second this leopard realized this is not an impala or an antelope or something I want to hunt or eat. Um, you got to, again, let me just backtrack a little bit. Think about cats. Think about your domestic cats at home. They, they respond mm. to quick reaction, mm. right? So now he must have heard my bicycle coming. So already grabbed his attention. Big male leopard in the riverbed. Heat of the day. I need to elaborate on that as well. So he's probably sleeping. So he hears this. And I come through with a flash. Probably at like 40 kilometers an hour. 
and like a little domestic cat in your home would do, he reacts to this. So he just came charging full speed. And I personally believe no one could really tell what it is. But at the last split second, it realized, whoa, this is maybe a human or it's not something I'm familiar with. That's a big term, Artanasia. If animals aren't familiar with it, they tend to not go and fiddle with it, if I can put it in those terms. So I think he pulled out, but he almost was too late to pull out. So he did hit the back of my bicycle. I still obviously have the bicycle on the wheel because to me it's a bit of a memory of how I survived this incident. It is completely indented. So it made contact with the wheel but didn't, the didn't get one claw. If you think of a leopard hunting, they go claws out. Um, so this guy obviously, well I say claws out, paws out. You know, he's trying to grab you. Think about your cat trying to grab a toy or something. The paws come out. That couldn't have happened because then it should have got my leg or it should have got something. So I feel like it retreated at the last second but still made impact with me. And then vitally what saved my life is my training and my experience in the bush. Knowing in split seconds, and there's these kind of split seconds decisions that saves lives out here. It's, and that's where training and things are important. I realize it must be a predator, so I need to be on my feet. I need to stand up and show my dominance and say, hey. And that happened with the momentum of me falling and get onto my feet. So yeah, that is probably closest I got to death. Um, super scary moment, not really a bragging moment whatsoever. But yeah, in, in like terms of the question, definitely the closest I've got to. And I feel to. like it's an important story to to tell because it just shows it shows the incredible you know power and speed that we we're dealing with, mm. with these animals, and also just you know as you say to not get complacent, which I think is very easy to do. Super important, especially if you're living here and you're living in day in and day out. And because the thing is, ninety nine percent of the time, nothing happens. Ninety nine percent of the time, you can go out and and go for a run and nothing happens. But then it's that one time where you have, you know, a, a leopard lion, or even you know, you've got something like a snake, or you've got yeah. Elephants, buffalo—you know—that that sees you as a threat and will it, yeah. it might attack. And it's about—it's just important to stay respectful to, to nature. 100%. Absolutely, absolutely. Chris, that was an incredible story. I've heard it about seven times, but you know, I know how listeners haven't. And honestly, that is the story I was hoping you'd say. Um, but obviously, we have limited time, Chris. We really need to get you back on the podcast. It just sounds like you've got so much you can add and so much value you can add to Wildest Kruger's stories. We'd love to have you back. Okay. But just from mine and Carolina's side, thank you so much. Yeah, thank thanks you. for taking the time to chat to us for an hour. Yeah. Thanks for having me on board. I mean, I only found out about this morning and I said, Yeah, let's do it. And uh, it was a little bit like, oh, Have you had gonna, fun? We're going to sit. And I was about to say, I've actually really had fun. It's been friggin' awesome. So, yeah, please call you me back. I thought it was going to be boring. I thought it was just going to be like, Okay, let's chat about the bush. I chat about the bush every day, but actually really good fun. And yeah, excited to see what you guys all think about it. And uh, yeah, excited to get back on it. Thanks very much, guys. Great idea, actually. Yeah, oh, awesome. no, we try, you. we try, you try. <laughs> um, guys, myself and Chris and Carolina are going to be off. We're going to have a cheeky little rhino whiskey. And see as... if we can go find mating leopards. Yeah, yeah there's, there's mating, mating leopards just down the road. Or there there, apparently. Um, Which means they should still be there, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. They don't move far when they're mating. But we're going to go pour ourselves a rhino whiskey. Remember, guys, drinking for rhinos, 20% of the proceeds go to the rhino orphanage in the Limpopo province. Awesome. Um, wow. So, great initiative from both myself and Chris. Yeah, it doesn't take much work. Drinking for rhinos, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you soon. Cheers, uh, everybody. Have a great festive season. We, as Wilder Kruger Safaris, are taking a four-week break. 
sorry about that. Uh, we just need some downtime and to have a really good time. Yeah, so the next time we will be uploading a podcast is uh, 13th of Jan, if I'm remembering correctly, because we're taking a bit of a break through the festive season. But we will see you guys then. And yeah, I hope you guys have an amazing holiday season and Christmas for those who celebrate Christmas. Cheers, guys. Have a good one.